This is the EWN Podcast Network. Everybody wants to win. It's how we define success in life. Michelle Nagel explores resilience, teaches you happiness hacks, and provides tools for building positive relationships, all of which are essential for winning at the game of life. Join us to learn how to roar. Welcome. This is Michelle Nagel. I'm so glad to have you back to Roar to Win. And our guest today is Giselle Toner who's a certified strategic intervention life coach and has been teaching yoga for over 30 years and is the most gorgeous woman that you will ever see. She has a yoga teacher training school for those who want to become yoga teachers themselves. She also teaches courses in Ayurveda, having been trained personally by Deepak Chopra and David Simon in La Jolla, California in 1998. Specializing in coaching those who feel broken by unfortunate circumstances and unfulfilling relationships, she transforms her clients to become more empowered and in touch with their highest level self using strategic intervention life coaching, yoga, and equine wisdom coaching, using horses to empower women, at-risk teens, and veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. She's a public motivational speaker with online courses and holds specialized retreats in tropical destinations. Wow. So welcome, Giselle. Thank you, Michelle. And that was really sweet of you to uh, give me such a beautiful compliment. Thank you so much. And it's really an honor to be here, uh, being able to talk with you today. So thank you. Well, I really appreciate your willingness to be on our podcast because I know that there's a lot of really wonderful things that you have that you can share with our listeners. So from that list, I was like, Deepak Chopra, how have I known you for two years and didn't know that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, a lot of people don't really know that. Um, It is such a wonderful thing that I actually was able to be taught with him, by him, in a classroom setting, because that would never happen today. But um, I actually got into that many, many years ago when he was first really just starting to become popular. Uh-huh. Uh, he had already written several really, really good bestsellers. But um, at that point, he really, really wasn't like, you know, the superstar that he is today. And so I was just one of his students, and I really was uh, in his classroom Uh, in that setting over a period of a couple of months off and on. I had to travel to California, but the whole certification process took about a year and it was the most fulfilling thing for me because I was already a yoga teacher, but I wanted to add something really much more special uh, for my clients that I was working with at the time. And that was a perfect fit for me. That's really wonderful. So, um, when we had a conversation the other day, you said you've actually been doing yoga since you were nine years old. How did you get started in doing that? You know, it's a really um, interesting story. And I will tell you that I had a very, very bad childhood, just like a lot of people. I am not sitting here crying the blues, believe me, but it was not a good, really, uh, it was not a, a, a good uh, childhood. I was really very lonely as a child. Um, there was a lot of abuse going on. And um, at that point, I was always looking for ways to feel better. I was looking all the time for something that would make me feel whole again, because I felt very fragmented and didn't really know where to turn for the feeling that I needed, which was love and and acceptance. So um, I was always in the libraries, um, going to pet stores and trying to 
you know, rescue animals and, you know, whatever I needed to do to like make myself feel better. And I remember this one time I was in the library and I was just looking for books. You know, I was probably in the school library where I was at the time. And uh, I pulled out a book and it was really kind of a strange looking book because it had pictures of people doing these really, really weird positions with their body. And I thought, well, that's strange. It looks like ballet. And um, I was, at the time, I was going to dancing school once in a while. Um, part of the things that I was doing as a kid, my mom would take me every once in a while to dancing school. And I thought, you know, this is very similar to ballet. But the more I read and the more I looked as a kid, I'm like, this is not ballet. It's different. So I started to just kind of like look at the pictures and try some of the moves. And I'll tell you, it was really weird stuff. I mean, you know, putting my foot over my head and trying to <laughs> And for me, it was fun. It's like, this is really fun. But what I didn't understand was that through the years, I kept that book for years, I would always go back to it. And I was always saying to myself, there's something very special about this because when I do it, I feel kind of like open and free. And I was reading about meditation in the book. And what was really amazing, Michelle, when I was reading about meditation and how to do the meditation, it was giving us information on how to take a certain word and repeat it over and over and over, a mantra. Right. But what I realized with, was that um, I was already doing that because I remember as a kid, I would be in my room or at the kitchen table and I would just start to zone out and I would just start repeating something over and over and it was almost like putting me in a trance. And I started to feel really good doing that so I would do it often because I didn't want to be in reality. Right. So I would start doing this. And when I read about that in the book, I was flabbergasted. I'm thinking to myself, wow, I'm already doing this. I am already meditating and I just started doing it on my own just because it was something that made me feel like I was not in that painful situation anymore. It was taking me away into a different little bit of a mindset or a higher level consciousness. Right. And later on in my studies, when I really started to get into yoga, later on in my teens, it became very, very clear to me what was happening. And I always like to say that you don't just start practicing yoga. Yoga is already in you. Mm -hmm. So I basically was just doing what was already natural for me. And then later on, I started to uh, really get into it much more when I was in my 20s, my early 20s. There were no yoga schools around, though. There were no teachers. It was a long time ago. I'm pretty old. <laughs> if I don't saying I'm pretty old so when I was in my 20s there was nothing going on yoga was still pretty much like not in the mainstream at all but I stuck with it I read every book I could possibly get my hands on um, and I just tried to find people that really were practicing yoga it was very very difficult for me but eventually I did get more into it and that's when I started traveling to New York and California and uh, getting more and more into it but Deepak Chopra is not my yoga teacher. He was my Ayurveda teacher. Right. Okay. So there's a little bit of a difference there. That, there's a big difference there. <laughs> a big, yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, I just, uh, that's very interesting that, that instinctively somehow you knew that, um, you know, to go into that, that safe place that took you to a place that was safer. I mean, it's, it's difficult because like when you first started talking about that, I thought, well, of course she's dissociating, but that isn't what you were doing. You were putting yourself in a meditative, mindful state as opposed to checking out completely. Right. So it's also interesting that, that somehow instinctively you knew that that was the better way. Yeah. It really was for me because what was happening was I was finding a place that felt very safe and it was giving me a feeling of power. I was actually feeling like I could cope much better because I had this other thing. Physically, I was feeling really wonderful because the poses absolutely are working on your central nervous system. It is giving you more energy, more blood flow, more oxygen. So physically, I was feeling really wonderful. And with the mindset and the ability to basically just not become drawn into all that drama anymore, I knew that there was a way for me to just cut it off and go into a different place that was, for me, quiet, and I could really gather my thoughts much better. And it was almost like I was tapping into a higher level of thought, where mm -hmm. everything was out there, and it was just insanity, but I can go to my sanity. That was really a place for me to feel good again. Mm -hmm. And it was just something that was so beautiful and wonderful. Um, it was one of the things, yoga was one of the things that really made me feel fabulous. And that's why I stuck with it. The other thing was horses. Okay. So, yeah. That so was you, my, yeah. yeah, that was my so, first So have you been involved with horses your whole life too? Yes. Yes. Okay, now you live in Florida right now, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and, be and before that, where did you live? I lived in Philadelphia in a concrete jungle. How did I ever start to love horses, right? How did you even get exposed to horses? Because they didn't <laughs> have them running up and down the streets. No. Okay, so this is what I can tell you. Watching television as a little kid, Every once in a while, you would see horses running across the field or someone riding. And it was almost like I was ready to cry because I wanted so much to be with that horse. Now, I did not have the same experience with dogs or anything like that, although I do love dogs. I have a dog. But horses was, they were, they had the most amazing pull for me. And I would sit there and I would actually cry. Like, I want to I go see the horses. I want to see a horse. And my mom and dad were separated when I was pretty young. And my father had to come and visit me. Of course, he had visitation. And he would say to himself, what am I going to do with this kid? Where am I going to take her on my visitation with her? And I would say, Daddy, I want to go find horses. Well, my father would take me to stables. He would look around, make phone calls or whatever. And he would take me to the nearest stable, which believe it or not, was not that far from my house in Philadelphia. Mm. So every time he would come and visit me, he would take me to the ponies and I would be in my glory. He would prop me up. I was only maybe four. And he would <laughs> prop me up on the pony and he, you know, they would walk me around and lead me around. That only lasted so long. After a while, I'm like, I want to ride 
leave me go. Just, you don't have to leave me. I'm good. <laughs> right. So I just, from that point on, horses were really a major part of my life. Hmm. Yeah, I've always thought horses were pretty, pretty amazing. And um, I have a granddaughter who is just, just over the moon with horses. She, she volunteers at a horse rescue place. Uh-huh. And so she learns how to take care of them uh-huh. and how to, she mucks out the stalls. She has to do all that. And, and when she does the work with them on the, on the caring for them, she earns the privilege to ride them. Yes. So that's really something that she's really thrilled with. That is so wonderful. You know, that is giving her an experience that is, it has immeasurable benefits, honestly. She is connecting with and bonding with, um, in my opinion, horses are very high level. And I can talk forever about horses, but I'll give you just a very brief synopsis of what I know and what I think and what I feel and what really is known. Um, Horses are prey animals. Horses are the animals that are eaten by others, by the lions and the wolves and uh, you know the other predator animals. And horses have developed an extremely high level of sensitivity, okay? In a different capacity than dogs. Dogs are, they're the, they're the ones that attack, okay? Right. Horses are the ones that are eaten. So horses have had to develop a very high level of perception, sensitivity, and a knowledge that is totally different than what we can even comprehend. People may think that horses are dumb. They are far from dumb, far from dumb. And the reason why I use horses as a coaching tool is because number one, it has been proven to really be effective. And the reason why it's effective is because, well, there are many, many things that that I can tell you, but a horse will never um, give you, uh, like a fake impression. So when you approach a horse and if you have anxiety inside of you, you don't even need to go that close to that horse. He can sense it from very, very far away. Mm -hmm. If you come to the horse with anger, he can sense that. If you come to the horse with a lot of, um, you know, good feelings and, and something that's going on really good in your life, he can sense that. So when I take my clients around these horses, they learn so much about themselves. Mm -hmm. In addition to learning a lot about themselves, they learn about empowerment because horses are herd animals. Mm -hmm. When you observe the way they are in their herd, the beautiful thing about what they do is that they know how to do two things very well. They know how to um, establish boundaries Mm -hmm. and, you know, push another one away so that they could become the lead horse, which is very important in the herd. They learn independence, but they also learn how to get along. So horses will kick and fight and you know, run after each other and tell the other one to move out of the way, but they don't hold grudges. Mm-hmm. They get friendly very, very quickly after that. Mm-hmm. So what happens is they learn, they can teach us how to be fiercely independent, but yet cooperative. And that's something that people do not really have the ability to do sometimes simultaneously. Mm-hmm. It's either I'm in charge and I'm the boss and I'm mean and nasty and I'm that way all the time, or you know, you're the other way, the opposite way. But with horses, they teach us that we could be both. 
We can establish boundaries, yet cooperate. Mm -hmm. And that's the beautiful thing about it. Mm -hmm. So when I was a child, um, there was a horse that I was <laughs> supposed to be riding. But um, I, I, I always felt like, like it was described that I looked like a fly on the horse's butt because that horse would do whatever he wanted to do. <laughs> so I, I would be interested in your interpretation as to was it because I didn't weigh enough, which is what they thought it was, is I didn't weigh enough so the horse knew that I wasn't the one that was in charge? Or is it that the horse was trying to teach me something? Or what do you think that was? You know, when you are on a horse's back, your energy level, your presence your posture, mm -hmm. and your command are everything. That horse knows automatically that you don't know what you're doing. And he is going to take full advantage of that. He's going to either take you back to the stable, roll with you on his back, or do nothing. Mm -hmm. And just say, ah, you're telling me to go, but I don't think I want to because you don't know what you're doing and I'm fine the way I am. Mm -hmm. So horses have the ability to really read what is going on. Okay, and as a novice, and you really didn't know how to ride, I don't think you did, right? No, I didn't. Okay, you didn't know how to ride. Um, your weight really had very little to do with it, very little to do with it. It really was the ability for you to convey your energy through your body and your presence on that animal. Mm -hmm. If you were a rider and you really knew how to ride and you knew how to connect with that horse, I'm not saying that it would have been a great ride because a lot of horses really are not trained very well and it might not have been a good ride. However, you would have been a little bit more controlling. You would have been able to convey what you needed from that horse mm -hmm. and you would have been able to get a little bit more of a positive response. Hmm. Yeah. So I was um, extremely abused as a child and of course um, putting like standing in my power is not something that I could possibly have done. Yeah. So the, the horse would have known that I was completely powerless because they would like run under the clothesline and sweep me off onto the, you know, onto the ground behind them or, oh, oh. or try to rub me off against the fence. And I'd end up with these, you know, rashes on my legs oh, or, yeah. uh, or head for the loafing shed, which of course <laughs> had a, a, a low ceiling where the horse could get under, but I couldn't. So I'd get knocked off that way. Oh, and, yeah. and I used to, and even then when I was an adult, I would have horses that would deliberately push me into the wall and step on me. And wow. I just thought that, you know, what is this that horses don't like me? Mm -hmm. But it's got to, obviously, it's got to be something else. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, they were pushing you around because they knew they could. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. They knew that you were not going to take control and that you didn't have the ability to take the control because you really didn't have it in your power yet. Mm -hmm. And so that was really kind of like, they are like a mirror. They can mirror you very well. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, um, you know, I, I can tell you that really there probably were many instances where they were doing things. And if you were, if, if, if a trained professional were there, they would be like, I can read all of this for you. Mm -hmm. And let's look at this a little bit more deeply. What's going on in your life? You know, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So that's what you do when you um, take these teenagers or these women or these people with PTSD is that you are the trained professional that is able to interpret the conversation yes. that the horse is trying to have? Yes, that's part of it. The par part of it is I do sometimes very little. 
I want to see the interaction between the horse and the person. Mm -hmm. I want to see what happens. Sometimes I'll have someone that's rushing up to the horse and running over and saying, oh, you know, I want to pet the horse. But the horse isn't too fond of that person rushing over. Mm -hmm. I also may have someone who is terrified and they will not go near the horse and they'll stay in a corner and they're just afraid. They don't want to go near the horse. Mm -hmm. um, there are also other people that get very, very angry very quickly if the horse doesn't do what they want them to do. Mm -hmm. And that's indicative of how they live their lives. They get angry very quickly when something doesn't go their way. So, you know, there are so many different things that happen with the interaction between the person and the horse that really shows you so much. Mm -hmm. um, but I can tell you that after a while, it starts to work where that person is healing. Mm -hmm. Healing from trauma, healing from the anger, healing from the fear, healing from the abuse. And a lot of it is just because of the interaction that's happening with the horse. It's mm -hmm. really amazing. It's just, it's just so fabulous. I love it. I, I absolutely do love it. Because it's a depth of communication that has to happen non-verbally. Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. You just said that perfectly. Yeah. We have, we have so much difficulty when we think we have to speak whatever's in our head. When the majority of the conversation that we have with individuals, you know, people, human, animals, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. The conversation that we have is body language. It's not what comes out of your mouth. You are so right. Your energy level is detectable at a very, from a very, very far away place. Okay. Mm -hmm. And especially right. to an animal like a horse, mm -hmm. but with people, people, you know, when you walk into a room, you probably automatically know you can single out the people that you do want to gravitate towards and people that you don't want to gravitate towards. Mm -hmm. And it's all an energetic thing. They right. don't even say anything to you, but you can feel it. Right. And immediately, I had somebody that I met just the other day, and I, I was talking to them. It took me, oh, all of five minutes to know that I did not want to continue the conversation with this individual because it was not somebody that I felt safe with. Right. And um, that's, and, and it wasn't, I mean, on outwardly, his conversation, he was being pleasant, he was smiling, and yet I'm, it's a man who, who wants to rent the lower portion of my house. Oh. And, and I'm thinking, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just an energy kind of a thing. So yeah, horses are really, really powerful with doing that. Absolutely. So, so how did you get into, um, you obviously loved horses, but how did you figure out how to use horses um, or incorporate them, not use them, but incorporate them into your coaching practice? Well, I know that for me, horses really, they really did save my life. In addition to yoga, horses saved my life because that was my place to go where I wasn't judged. Mm -hmm. I could be myself around horses. Um, you know, there was a bond there. They would connect with me. You know, they would allow me to ride them and groom them and love them and feel comfortable with them. So, but at that age, and even in my early years, I had no idea that they would ever be a coaching tool. Mm -hmm. What happened was when I became a coach, uh, when I went through my certifications to be a life coach, um, I was working one-on-one -on -one with a lot of women. And a lot of these women had gone through the same things that I went through, mm -hmm. which were you know, a lot of abusive things and, and you and, and a lot of people like us. And I realized that 
horses, horses really did save my life. So I thought to myself, gee, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could introduce horses to these women or anyone who was willing to do it and just see what happened and see how they felt. Mm -hmm. So this was in the 80s. Actually, no, I'm sorry, in the 90s. Um, I, I just first started getting into the life coaching and um, you know going through training. And I actually took a couple of the people that I was working with to the stable. And at that time, it wasn't coaching for me because I had no idea that it was ever going to be. It was just a way for me to bring people to introduce them to horses. And I was finding that the results that, was, that were happening were really wonderful. Um, they would be calmer. They would be happier. Uh, it didn't always work out really, really well because some people were afraid and they didn't want to go back. But a lot of times it was really good. Then fast forward to today, where today coaching with horses is so well documented on the effects Mm -hmm. and the things that can happen and the benefits. So you know um, that there are places right now where it's just therapeutic riding for uh, people with disabilities and uh, you know emotional problems, and horses really help with that. Mm -hmm. So horses can help in a myriad of ways. But then I decided to actually go and get some real training, which I did. And so now I am a facilitator, which basically means I can take the horse and the person, have them interact, and I know, I know enough so that I know exactly what I need to do with the person to get them to start opening up, feeling safe again, feeling their power again, uh, and then just taking it further and seeing how far I can go with it. Mm -hmm. And one of the wonderful things about horses is it's also the same thing that's really intimidating about them is they're such large animals. They are so, um, they're so heavy. Yeah, but that's also what makes them so wonderful as a therapy animal, because yes. because they are so grounded. Yes. It's it's a solid animal, and yeah. um, animals also saved me when I was a child and was going through abuse. I lived on a, a farm, and I would go out, and while I was feeding the animals, I would be you know sobbing or talking to them and telling them and, and the cows would always moo at the right spots you know it's mm -hmm. like they were really listening to me yeah. it's like yes I know you know yes, <laughs> and, yeah. and and my dogs and the cats even you know it's just animals are so incredibly healing if we allow them the opportunity to yeah and you know what you were talking about just now about the size of horses um that actually helps with the empowerment process because if you take, let's just say a woman who has been uh, very abused or she just doesn't have a whole lot of self-confidence, if she starts learning how to lead that horse, mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, the sense of empowerment that comes from having that beautiful, powerful animal walk next to you mm -hmm. at your urging and your control is so wonderful. You become a partner with that horse mm -hmm. and it's just like, you know, you're directing him to come with you and he's complying and it makes you feel so good. So yeah, the size really does have a lot to do with also the fact that you've got this big animal and he's listening to me. That makes you feel good. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you have online courses. What, how do you do yoga online? Is this a, a yoga course or what is this exactly mm -hmm. that's online? 
Okay, I have a, a lot of different, a couple of different things that are online at this point. One of them is a yoga course, and it's called Yoga Crash and Learn. And I did it just for people. <laughs> I love <laughs> instead, that. <laughs> yeah, instead of crash and burn, crash yep. and learn. Right? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and it's, it's specifically for people who are not really good at yoga, who are maybe just beginners, or even people who are a little familiar with it but for people who are busy, because mm -hmm. it's like a crash course. Mm -hmm. And I have a series of videos that are all 15 minutes, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, but they're geared just for people who want to do something quick. Um, and it really does give a really good amount of information. It takes you from the basic levels of breathing, uh, some meditation, and then it gives you some really wonderful ways to start a yoga practice. So there's a series of videos in there and a couple of bonuses. And so that is my yoga course, okay, online. So it's all digital. Somebody can go on there, click a button, and all of a sudden you've got all the videos in your inbox, right? Another thing that I do online is I do my coaching. I do my coaching um, with people that are all over the world. So I have people that are all over the place. And the way I do it is I have a course for women called The Goddess Blueprint. Mm -hmm. And The Goddess Blueprint is 10 separate steps, 10 separate modules. And I go through it over a period of 10 weeks with, uh, you know, the, the student. I'm going to call it the student. And through those 10 weeks, we do coaching calls and they get information and they get uh, PDFs and audios and all kinds of stuff. So that's my other course. Then I have another one for abusive um, situations called the abusive relationship trap. That is for people who have gone through a lot of abuse in their lives, very similar to what we have gone through. Mm -hmm. um, and I have another one called yoga self mastery, which does not have anything to do with the physical end it's all the higher level end where it's all the spiritual, uh, how, to, how to reach your higher power with you know, your faculties, your mind, and learning the causes of suffering. And it takes you through five separate steps to just learn about mainly the suffering and how to overcome it in life. So that's what I do. Those are my courses. So how did you overcome your... Um your abusive experiences. I mean, yeah. obviously you're a very empowered woman. Um, I, I wish I looked like you. You are so beautiful, really. Aww, thank you. So <laughs> you. Michelle, let me tell you, you are a phenomenally beautiful woman yourself. So thank you so much for those compliments. But I have to tell you, you are radiant. You are gorgeous. Oh my, I would give anything for your eyes. Can I have your eyes? <laughs> I want your eyes. <laughs> I, know, I have seen you do that yoga pose, the one where you're just up on your arms and you're like, your whole body is hanging up there in the air. So I just, I look at your strength and that's, you know, a physical strength and that's also a spiritual and emotional strength. And um, you came from an abusive background, which is not a place of, of strength. So how did you discover that strength within you? Okay. Thank you so much for asking me that question because oh, it's really important uh, to, to give you this information because this is really going to help anyone who, has, who is either in that place right now or has come out of it but is still really feeling horrible. So... 
I had the childhood that was really, really bad. And the childhood was physically abusive, mentally abusive, verbally abusive, and all the other things, okay? And of course, Michelle, you know that a lot of times when you are in that as a child, you don't know anything better. So you go into relationships that are the same way, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I went into relationships, and especially one that was so abusive that I was in the hospital a lot. I was being beaten and I was being brainwashed and I was afraid to tell anybody about it because I was being threatened. My life was being threatened by him. So I basically was living like um, a brainwashed prisoner for years, mm -hmm. uh, really literally like being locked in closets and all kinds of craziness, right? And um, But there was always something inside of me that would not let me give up, even though there were times when I truly did want to die and I was praying for death. I was saying, death will be better, and why won't you just take me? You know, just kill me so that I feel better. But something inside of me kept on saying, no, something else is, is going to be happening to you, so you can't give up. Mm -hmm. Well, it got to the point one day where my abuser had left for a while, and I remember at such a... I was at such a dark place that um, I, I literally at that moment did not know what to do because I knew that I wanted to not be there anymore. I didn't want to be alive anymore. Mm -hmm. And I just crumbled on the floor and I basically was on my knees and I just started crying, saying, and I was out loud, out loud, calling for help, saying, I need Whatever, whoever, wherever, whoever you are, all the saints, all the angels, God, you know, and I'm just calling for anything, anything to just help me, help me, help me, help me. I was crying. I was on my knees screaming for help. And Michelle, I'm getting chills as I talk about this right now because the most amazing thing happened. I can tell you that I really heard a voice mm -hmm. that said to me, get up, get off your knees, and you are now going to feel power that you never felt. And I'm like, and I'm like, what, wait, what, huh? I'm gonna feel power, really, okay? And I'm like, okay, so I get up and now, I'm thinking, okay, this is my imagination. I must be, I must be going crazy. He must have banged my head so hard last night that, like, I, I think I'm, I'm hallucinating, right? Right. I can tell you that it was so strong and so real that I really, literally felt energy, a vibration in my body. I felt vibration, mm -hmm. and I thought to myself, "This is it. This is it." Whether it was real, imagined, or whatever, I knew that I was meant for something other than that abuse. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, I didn't automatically snap my fingers and become Wonder Woman, but I could tell you it was the beginning. And from that point on, I started to work into my own power and listening to my own inner voice that was extremely powerful, extremely knowledgeable. Um, I was suddenly open to hearing and feeling and responding 
to this powerful energy that has always been, had always been inside of me, and it's always in everybody. Mm -hmm. You've got to get to that place where you are willing to listen. So I started listening, and I started doing, and I started moving and shaking and doing things differently. And one day, that was, <laughs> it was almost like, you know, you're climbing a mountain, climbing a mountain, climbing a mountain, and all of a sudden, you're at the top. And all of a sudden, I felt myself at the top. And he was suddenly powerless, powerless over me, mm -hmm. powerless. And I'll never forget it. One day, I was driving my car. And normally, when he would call me, I would be shaking. I would be scared to death. And he called me on the phone. And man, oh, man, he didn't expect it. <laughs> he didn't expect it. Um, I can't tell you what I told him because it would be not good for your audience to hear, but <laughs> I can tell you, I can tell you, unless they don't have children around, um, I could tell you that I said some things that were very uncharacteristic, but basically what I said was, um, you have no more power, none. And that made him infuriated. And he's like, wait till I get all to you. I'm going to teach you. I went, oh, really? And then I countered it with something even bigger. And he never heard that before. And, it, and at that moment, Michelle, he knew something really changed. It really, really changed. So from then on, I started doing these things for myself that were kind of like little practices, spiritual practices. And through the years, I started to document what I was doing to make myself stronger, more powerful. Mm -hmm. And that is how I developed my course today. So my course today is a compilation of all the things that I did, all the things that I did. Mm -hmm. And that's how I work. That's how I work my magic now, because it's all because of what I went through and what I did to get myself out of that terrible place. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, it works because I've got a lot of women right now that are like saying, I love you. <laughs> I love you. And yes. it's really amazing, Michelle, because these are things that are very simple, but yet a lot of people don't know how to do it. They don't know how to climb out of that devastating place. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I do. So we're going to take a quick break. We've been listening and, and visiting with Giselle Toner, and wow, she's given us some really amazing points, and she's got a bunch more to give us. So we'll come right back. Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's Virtual Office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's Virtual Office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's Virtual Office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. Welcome back. This is Michelle Nagel with Roar to Win, Resilience, Optimism, Accountability, and Resourcefulness. And we are talking with Giselle Toner, who is a certified strategic intervention life coach and has been teaching yoga for over 30 years and also works with horses in her work to uh, help um, women and teenagers and people who are suffering from PTSD to grow beyond their experiences. And Giselle, wow, I've, I've been just 
is so much enjoying our conversation. I have goosebumps from your stories. They're just really amazing. So, um, so why are women more likely to look for healing than men are? Because we try to have relationships with men and they're not interested in healing themselves, which makes it a little challenging at times. But why are women more inclined to do that? You know, I really do think, Michelle, that it has so much to do with the fact that women are nurturers. We're the mothers. We're the caretakers. We have a very, very high level of empathy. And we have a very high level of sensitivity. And we have been feeling the effects for so many years now of being at the bottom. And, you know, this isn't bashing men at all. It really isn't. But you know, we really have had to do so many things. We've had to juggle so many things. Uh, you know, we basically were pretty much, um, at, you know, at that point of our lives where we really didn't feel like we measured up. But today, things are different. Mm-hmm. Women are a little bit more inclined to reach out for help because they know that there really is something else. We have a little bit of, a, of that intuition, which is basically, uh, you know, in our DNA from having to raise children and do all the other things that, that women do. So our sensitivity levels are higher. So we really are a little bit more apt to feel comfortable with reaching out. But I have to tell you something, more and more men are starting to do that. My practice has been changing. I, over this past year, I've actually had more men than women. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Really, really amazing. And they are starting to see that, you know, there are so many times in life where you can be strong, but there comes a time when you know that you've just got to do something different because what you've been doing isn't working anymore. Mm -hmm. And I also think that since you know, we have the media and we've got so many different resources today. I think that men are feeling a little bit more safe, mm-hmm. that they're not going to be looked down upon or frowned upon or looked at as a sissy because you went to counseling or coaching. Uh, I think that men are feeling a little bit more, a little bit more secure uh, and, and not as intimidated to be able to do that today. So there's been maybe a little reduction in the, the macho kind of a thing that, yeah, which, Absolutely. which I am grateful for. I'm so grateful for the enlightened men that, yeah. Um, yeah. that recognize that the, the old good old boys club is not a club that they want to be in. And Absolutely. yeah, I think that's Absolutely. a really wonderful thing. So um, what's the number one problem that you see when you're in your coaching programs? Yeah, well, for me, uh, for what, what I do, and I work mainly with women, I think right now what I'm seeing more than ever uh, are women who have pretty much put themselves at the bottom for a very, very long time, and now they're coming to that place where they're feeling depleted, and they don't want to feel like that anymore. They want to feel whole. They want to feel empowered. They want to feel good again, mm-hmm. and a lot of times it is from a bad relationship. A lot of times it is from... Um, either an abusive relationship, um, or it, it could even be, it doesn't even have to be a relationship with a significant other. It could be family. It could be children. Um, it could be a job that's been just, you know, not really good for you and you've been feeling disempowered from it. There are many things that will make a woman feel that way. But what I am seeing more than anything else are the women that are coming out now saying, I need help. 
-hmm. I need help because I feel terrible. I feel bad physically. I don't like my body. I don't feel healthy. My mind is not okay. I feel cluttered. I feel stuck. So they want to feel good again, or maybe for the first time in their lives ever. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I do with my practice is my practice works on an integrative approach. It's not just coaching. It's physical also because I do incorporate yoga. Mm -hmm. So people are going to work. They're going to feel good physically and then learn the strategies for the mental, um, you know, the, to be able to go higher with their emotions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, strategically, I will take somebody and say, okay, I look at you in, in, as an individual. Nobody is the same and everybody has something a little bit different. So I kind of like balance what I need to do with that person. Mm-hmm. So do they, what do they come to you for? Do they come to you for like wanting to lose weight or what is it that they come to you for that isn't really what they need? Yes. Right. Well, it's <laughs> normally, it's normally not really just losing weight. Although this is the thing. If someone comes to me, that's very overweight, she'll say to me, I can't lose the weight. I've packed on a hundred pounds. I've got to do something. I'm going to die soon. What I know, what I know beyond the shadow of a doubt is that it's not just a problem with eating or overeating. Mm -hmm. It is an emotional problem. Mm -hmm. And most of the time when I dig, I know that that person is trying to pack on weight as a protective barrier right? something that happened that was terrible before. Mm -hmm. or, ter now, or terrible now. Terrible now. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, and they come to me for lots of different reasons, but most of the time it is usually they don't feel good anymore about themselves or they never have felt good about themselves. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And that's, it's, it's such a difficult thing to put a, a name to because what does feeling good feel like? A lot of us don't know because yeah. we've not ever felt good, really. I mean, our, our I feel good spot is probably the lowest of some other people's because of what we've already gone through. And, yeah. and we're, we are used to giving everything to everybody else, which is a form of self-abandonment. Yeah. Because if we don't give everything to everybody else, they will reject us. Mm-hmm. And so mm -hmm. it's just this vicious cycle of, yeah. and, and so are you finding that, I mean, how do they get to the point that not feeling good is like strong enough? What, how does they, what brings them to their bottom, their rock bottom, where it's finally time to change something? Yeah, well, you know, that's something that happens when a woman or a man, but mainly, mostly women, um, they get to that place where I was. They're on their knees gasping, bleeding, saying, help. And, and unfortunately, Michelle, unfortunately, it takes for people to get to that bottom before they will cry out. Very rarely will somebody say, you know, I feel pretty good, but I think I can feel better, so I'm going to start doing something really good for myself. Most of the time, people don't do that. They only reach out when they are at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when I say the bottom, I mean like just terrible stuff that has been happening to them. Um, now, of course, that's totally different than someone wanting to improve their health and going to a gym or starting to adopt a different way of eating. That's a whole different thing. But what I'm talking about is 
true despair, mm-hmm. true despair when right. it gets to that place. And that's when they start reaching and they start looking. And mm-hmm. that's when they're really truly ready to get better because they're at that place where they don't want to be there anymore. Mm-hmm. It just, it, they just don't want to be there. So how do you give them um, hope? Because that is, that is despair and despair is such a dark place and you can't, you can't find any hope. So how do, how do you give them hope? Okay. So the first thing that I do is if they're willing, okay, and if they're really truly willing to want to make a difference and have something else happen in their lives where they know they deserve more, I take them through a series of things. The first thing that I will do is I will, number one, of course, they'll hire me and, and I'll start working with them. I give them what I call the breakthrough questionnaire. And it is a way for me to see what's going on, where they are, what their mindset is, and if they are truly ready to start taking some real different moves in their lives. The first thing also, which is the very beginning of my work with them, is I need for them to make a decision. They have to have firm conviction. They make that decision that they're ready to move forward because without the decision, nothing happens. Mm -hmm. They may be a little wishy-washy. Well, you know, I think I need a little bit. There can be no wishy-washy. It is yes. I made the decision. I am ready and let's go. That's it. Now, when they get that, they get hope. They start to feel immediate power. Like I've got something that I'm going to be working into now. You know, like a new road is opening for me. Mm-hmm. This is something that's exciting. So in the beginning, it is that gives them the initial power. Just the fact that they're making that decision makes them feel good right off the bat, mm-hmm. right off the bat. I made a decision. I feel good. Okay. Yeah. Not as good as I'm going to feel, but you feel good because you made a decision. You're ready to move forward. And that is my first step with them. Make the decision now to stop accepting less than you deserve. No questions, no qualms. It is a firm decision and let's move. Let's go. We're ready. Yeah. Choice is the most powerful thing that we have as humans is the ability to make the choice. And so yes. So, yeah, because, because the, when we get in the wishy-washy state, oh, I want, I wish, you know, I want to want. <laughs> I, I know that I should want, but I, you know, but you're not willing to actually do the commitment. You're not actually willing to do the work. And that's, that's one of the things that, you know, we all want to be happy, but somehow we want to take a magic pill in order to be happy. And there is no such thing. Exactly. We have to, we have to put in the effort and we have to work. But the first step is making that choice. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And you know, once they start to work into things, they do start to feel better pretty quickly. They really do. And then by the time the final, you know, of course, they, some people are with me for years and I'm very happy and thankful because they love me. <laughs> but you know, after that initial time that we're together during that coaching process, they have basically really transformed. And I mean, really transformed. I love, that is what makes my world. I love it because I can see true change. And it's not just a fake little, I feel powerful today. Oh no. (laughs) Oh no. They are making really badass decisions. Excuse my language. They are making badass decisions and they are following through with them and they are really empowered. And I'm telling you, my community of women is great. 
It is wonderful. They are strong. They're powerful. And you know what? We're all here for each other. Mm-hmm. And if anyone has a little slip, we're here. We can help. We're together. It's a beautiful thing. So um, you're dealing with a lot of really heavy things. Um, and how do you keep from getting triggered? And how do you decompress when you've been working with somebody who's got a lot of baggage that you're helping them carry? You are so wonderful in asking that question again. Thank you. Because this is critically important, Michelle. Not only me, but anyone who is in the position of coaching or counseling or anything like that, you absolutely have to have a truly high level of spiritual help within yourself because you will be sucked in. You will develop ulcers. You will start to have migraine headaches. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a very, very strong shield around you. And I'm serious about that, a Mm -hmm. shield. Um, There are times when I am working with someone where I feel my energy draining and slipping. I could very quickly try to get my composure back again. And of course, I would never cut a call short or anything like that. But immediately afterwards, I need to build myself up again. I need to strengthen. So I do my own little mental clarity exercises, um, breathing techniques in yoga, pranayama breathing techniques, which really gives me power. And then I go ride my horse. I'm mm-hmm. happy. It's beautiful. You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. I was working with a client the other day and I felt all of a sudden just this intense heaviness in my chest and I couldn't move my left arm. It, it hurt too much. to lo- and, I, and I almost said, oh, ow, this is so heavy. What are you carrying? Because I, I picked it up. And, um, and so I, after I, I finished with the work with her, I, I said, you know, what, is, what are you carrying around that you probably shouldn't be because it's just like so incredibly heavy? Yeah. And, and she said, oh, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. And then she left and she was gone for about 20 minutes and then sent me this text that said, my chest is so heavy and my arm feels like it's going to fall off. What happened? <laughs> and it's like, okay, good. Now I picked up on it and now you've got it. So what is it? And so she's been kind of processing through what that is. And, Isn't that and, incredible? But we think about, you know, we don't, I don't know. I, I don't understand how we got in the position of believing that energy is all this woo-woo stuff because we are energy bodies. That's what we are. I mean, if you take an atom, which is the smallest thing that we can, you know, they can, they something smaller. I can't remember what they call it. That they a found quark. It. A yes, quark. a quark. But, <laughs> but, you know, you stick that under a microscope. And what is it? It's simply energy. That's right. And that's what we are. So when we use energy medicine and energy therapies, yeah. we're using nature. We're using what our bodies are used to. We're yeah. using what we're made up of. And it's so much more powerful than, uh, than trying to drown your miseries in pharmaceuticals or some addictive substances. Right. Right. So, um, so let's see. So, so you've got your ways of decompressing. Your horses are part of that, which I think is so cool. Yeah. And um, you said that you have a free gift for our listeners. What is that? Yes, I do. Um, you know, I have many, many, many free gifts. But one of the things is, um, if anyone wants to go onto my website of GiselleToner.com, they can get something called the Quick quote, workbook for purpose and power, for power and purpose. And what that is basically is a book of quotes. And it's very short. It's not a very, very long book. But each quote 
has a, and it's a very profound quote, and it may resonate, you know, with you. And right underneath the quote is like an empty space for you to write down your thoughts about the quote, what it triggered in you, and then a space for an action step that you can take. So by the time you're done, you are actually going to be getting so many new ideas and things for yourself, ways to empower yourself, uh, ways to start with new endeavors in your life. Um, basically, quotes, some of them really, really do resonate with us very deeply. Mm -hmm. And when we read them, it triggers the subconscious mind. So the whole purpose of this book is to trigger your subconscious mind and your conscious mind together. And when you write down what you feel as a result of that quote, it will trigger your mind to say, you know what, my action step for this would be to do blah, blah, blah. Okay. Now, not every quote will resonate with you, but a lot of them will. Most of them will. Mm -hmm. And most people do really go through the whole book and do it through every quote. And they find themselves really being able to do something completely amazing with their life just because of that. You know, it just gives them that incentive, that power, and the thought process that they didn't have before. So um, anybody that's interested can go on to zeltoner.com, and it will give you a little place where you can just put in your name and address, uh, and that book will be sent to you automatically. That's really awesome. And so can they also reach you through your website? Yes, absolutely. Well, um, they can read a little bit about the courses that I teach. Mm -hmm. um, they can contact me through my email address, which is on there, um, through my gmail.gmail.com. Uh, gmail and also, there isn't on yet, but it is going to be on very, very soon, my scheduler, so that somebody can schedule an appointment if they want to talk to me and do like a little strategy session. That's really awesome. So thank you so much, Giselle, for being with us and giving us such incredible insights. And um, I really would recommend to all of my listeners that you connect with Giselle. She's just a delightful person in addition to being extremely skilled and gifted in what she does. And thank you so much for being with us today, Giselle. Um, Michelle, thank you. I really have to say thank you. And it was a pleasure, really a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today as we learned happiness hacks, relationship tools, how to refuel our resilience batteries and perfect our roar. Resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. More to win. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This is the EWN Podcast Network.